may not mean nothing to y'all But understand nothing was done for me So I don't plan on stopping at all I want this shit forever, mine, ever, mine, ever, mine I'm shutting shit down in the mall And selling every girl she don't Welcome to another episode of the Prairie Perspective Podcast. Matt here and alongside me is Eric and Dinesh. On today's episode, we catch up with 2020 Fred Haskins, award winner for the NCAA's top golfer, Soft Tigala. We talked to the number three ranked amateur in the world about his life in Malibu with the Pepperdine Waves, his experiences in PGA Tour events and rounds with Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Phil Mickelson, and what his next steps are in the chase to becoming a professional golfer. But before we get to that, let's check in with the boys. What's happening? Just chilling. Got a new office mate, though. And uh, Eric, not office mate, but two office guys, you know. Office guys are taking over the podcast. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And uh, got the new setup almost dialed in. So hopefully it'll benefit me down the road. I'm going to get the chair set up tomorrow. So I'm just going to kick back like Matt Johnson does. (laughs) And uh, just chill, man. Eric, what's happening? Uh, Not a lot. I mean, I started work on Monday. was a big office guy on Monday and then uh, took my skills home for uh, the rest of the week here. Now I'm allowed to work from home, so that's nice. Gives me a lot of time. I don't have to get ready for work in the morning. I don't have to drive to work, so I'm a huge fan of it. I literally woke up at 9 today, started work at 9, so it's pretty awesome. Can't complain here. What about you, Matty J? What's new? First day on the job today. And it was stressful. <sighs> Things out at Riverside Country Club aren't all uh, sunny right now. You know, everybody's excited to hit the links, but uh, a little stressful for the employees, I'd say. A lot of talk about disinfectants, hand sanitizers, a lot of not fun stuff. You know, I'm just looking to teed up with the boys on Friday afternoon, Willows Golf Club. going to be a high-stakes match. Boys are coming out swinging early, a couple hundred on the line. Her Dinesh and I are taking Twomley and Maddie J to town. Yeah, how much are we putting on it? Oh boy, I haven't, I haven't even swung a golf club year yet. Twenty bucks year. a piece. Twenty bucks. What do you think I'm making this office job? You're talking a big game. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll buckle down on that. I'm about it. Now, oh, man, I'm looking forward to it. I've been stretching every day. So I'm actually so <laughs> excited to get back on the links. How was the park session the other day, Maddie J? Oh, I was just dialing in wedges. With it, like less than 100 yard kind of wedge shots? Or what yeah, I was looking at about 70 yards, a little, little 60 degree, you know, a little three-quarter swing. Just getting it dialed in. Definitely, okay. some, definitely some sprays. Uh, a couple skulls. There's some people sitting on the Greystone Hill. I, I came a little close to them, but, you know, they were enjoying the views. Pretty golf swing, pretty day. Well, any of our uh, good friends, Sahith the Galas, on the range and clip the guy beside you with a bit of a. Uh... No, no, I'm saving that for Friday. I'm going to peg Dinesh on the other side of the range. <laughs> Send an early message in the round, you know, right to the gut. Get him a little confused on the tee. He's not knowing. We'll see. What's gonna we'll, come see. we'll see if this guy's uh, dialed in as he says he is. I'm not afraid. We all know 12 is salty with uh, Eric. After his big Palm Springs no dice, he, this guy's more focused on the hikes. I'm just looking to golf, get out and play some of the best tracks in America. But I, I was just told ladies are find, found on the hiking trails and not on the golf course. So you know where I, my money was. I don't know what Brooke Henderson would say about that. Yeah, I don't know what Brooke Henderson would say about that is right. We mentioned uh, Elkridge on one of the last episodes. Bad news today, boys. Sounds like Bank took over of one of the premier facilities in Saskatchewan 
Arnie Peterson, uh, the owner, he's kind of no longer running the show and it's uh, for sale. Collier's realtor, they don't have a price for the listing, but it sounds like it's just kind of, you know, shoot your offer, but tough news. Hopefully maybe this will uh, turn the tide, but unfortunate to see that place not running this year, as we mentioned before. It's heartbreaking for a guy who uh, I've worked out there for six, well, not anymore, but uh, at one point in my time there, probably in grade 10 till second year uni maybe i worked out there every summer so uh, it's heartbreaking to see the place go down and just to see how much love and passion went into perfecting that golf course and making it so good for saskatchewan so it's sad to see it go and i know i'll be stuck having a golf at emma lake this year which kind of blows but it was estimated in 2008 that the development cost between 60 and 70 million so obviously a a big financial investment went into the property, so it's kind of tough to see it just all fall down like this. Well, and I believe the last couple of years it's been for sale too. I know they were asking, I think it was around 15 or 16 for it the last couple of years. And I know they, they gained some interest from a couple of First Nations groups. And there was a group of former and I think a couple current NHL players that were actually looking at buying the place too, potentially. Rumor around town. But um, I think since there's been zero traction on it. More big news out of the U of S today too. Sounds like as of right now, the plan is for courses to be online next year to begin at least in the fall semester. Not really surprising news, but just kind of goes to show it, how the world is changing around us. Pretty, pretty crazy. DB, what are your thoughts on that? You're going to be making your return to the, to the classroom and you'll do it virtually come September. Yeah, I'm neutral on that. I'm not uh pro working from home or pro working from school uh i think i like i don't really mind working from home so it's not gonna affect me but i know a couple of my buddies they really can't do anything from home so they're not too happy about it they're uh yeah they'd rather be at school and have that uh i guess that setting but hey i just got this set up so i guess it's gonna get put to use and uh Got it all for good reason, so I'm actually looking kind of forward to it. It'll be a new experience, but uh, just sad that you won't be able to see the regular faces that you see every day and chat with people. But but as far as just like the actual academics go, uh, I don't see too much change for my uh, college, like commerce, except for uh, group projects. Might be a little tough because I don't know how we're going to do that. Besides like doing Zoom calls or Microsoft Teams, but. Yeah, besides the school won't change too much, I don't think, for us, for relating to me. But uh, the seeing the people and missing those faces is going to be a dagger for sure. One thing that this uh, might have a big effect on is athletics. Obviously, I think it becomes really hard to run university athletics next year. The athletic fees that are charged by universities to students basically fund, basically fund the athletic departments. So basically students pay for their like a season ticket in a way through their athletic fees that's how they get free free tickets throughout the year so I think it really becomes hard because you're likely not gonna be able to charge those athletic fees if classes are online so it's a big loss to guys like to Caleb what a catch what a great grab Caleb Morin for the U of S Huskies who are looking to have a breakout year and suit up in the green and white so thoughts out to the athletes Canada West just announced they were going to run a shortened schedule 
only playing teams in your region, but sports. So we'll see how that transpires here in the coming weeks. I saw an article that basically said if one, like probably more prominent university in Canada goes to online, then the rest of them actually have to follow suit also. So I feel like a bunch of the um, universities are coming together to make this decision. Just because, say, like, if Regina opens up, but U of S goes online, they feel like a lot of people from U of S will transfer Regina just so they can do schooling online, or sorry, in person, because they feel it's a better education. And, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was kind of announced today that Regina is also planning for online classes. Like, this really isn't a surprise. You have to plan for this. Mm. You kind of have to make this decision. You can't obviously wait until September. And just, like, the sheer amount of students that, travel from province to province for school it's just kind of a huge even internationally too like internationally i think the university would have to factor in the international students obviously because they pay such an increased tuition and Mm -hmm. if they if they say it's in person that's a big um, amount of revenue lost about a month ago or probably closer to like middle of march when this all happened i emailed um, the parking services because i got a parking pass on campus and i basically said like hey i basically got shafted a quarter of my school year and I like I physically couldn't go to the school, so why would I use my parking pass? And I just got a message back saying um, the office is closed, so I'm looking to get my hundred dollars back or about a quarter a quarter of what I paid for it. DB, it was a busy weekend for you as a UFC guy. You were obviously glued to the TV, or glued to your. Sc- DB, it was a busy weekend for you as a UFC guy. You were obviously glued to the screen Saturday night. What were your thoughts on how everything went down? Hey, did the ratings come back on this yet? UFC or like the Vegas bettings. Like I bet the sports books were Colin Cowherd was basically anticipating that sports books were going to like soar on the stock market come Monday, just because like a lot of States sound like they're going to be considering legalized gambling as a way to bring revenue back in, like through this whole thing, just Mm -hmm. people are kind of sitting around doing nothing. Once sports gets back going, money could flow into the economy through that. But um, I know I was looking at Penn Gaming. Obviously, they acquired Firestool back in February, but they did not soar on uh, Monday morning as I was expecting. So, Matt Johnson, the stockbroker, or stock insider, Matt Johnson. Yeah, he uh, he failed to live up to live up to his insight there. DB, you're the financial guy. What do you think about sports books? Ah, I don't know. I'm neutral on that. Like, it is a good way to bring like money back into the economy but i don't know how much uh sports are going to be happening really you know what i mean besides like these three ufc events because once these three events go then they're gonna have to like reevaluate and see how they did maybe they did really shitty because on thursday one of the ufc guys tested positive so they're getting pretty bad ratings about that and uh but that's like I, I don't understand that. Yeah, that's what Dana White was saying. We can't yeah, go 100%. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, but like... Yeah, Dana White was saying like, we did our job 100%, like the best we could, yeah, exactly. which was basically like... As long as he's getting this guy and you like quarantine them properly afterwards, right? Yeah, he's yeah. like, we basically did our job well because like, we found out that this guy was positive before the fight, not during the mm-hmm. fight or after. Mm-hmm. So he's like... The problem is so, you don't really know, like, tests aren't 100% effective. There can be, like, false positives or, right. I saw on uh, Tim and Sid today, Dana White was on, and he was saying that throughout the duration of the event, 
Um, I don't know what, what day it actually started on. I assume maybe Thursday with like, when did weigh on weigh in start and all that ball or like weigh-ins or Friday. Okay. So probably started Friday. Dana had four tests done COVID tests. So I'm assuming athletes probably had around four too. And he was saying each, like the UFC had to buy the tests and each test cost between 130 to $135. So if that like, that's basically nothing for these large sporting industries, right? However, the, the issue for like most of them isn't the cost. It's just the moral implications. And a lot mm-hmm. of states' tests are hard to come by. And it's a really bad look for the organizations if they're taking tests from the general public who aren't able to access them. That's one of the biggest hurdles in sports coming back. That The PGA Tours noted just the sheer amount of tests they need. And yeah, that's kind of one of the biggest issues stopping pro sports from returning right now. No, I think that's completely fair because all these guys, like, face it, like, everyone in professional sports, I don't, like, if, I think if, I don't know, I bet almost all of them, if not all of them, if they got corona, they would all probably live just because they're young and healthy, right? Like, there's no really, like, if you're a professional athlete, you're in good shape, you don't have, like, you don't typically have a history of uh, medical problems, and you're not old, right? But the issue isn't with the athletes themselves. It's kind of like about a social responsibility. To, yeah, I know. I know it's yeah, a terrible look yeah. taking it from, like, say, an elderly lady who's 80 and going down with it compared to, like, Tony Ferguson, you know what I mean? But, but I also, think there's also, like, an aspect to, like, having sports back. It's, like, almost a mental pickup in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people just need, like, a sense of normalcy in their lives, and sports can bring that. Just, like, get people's minds off things a bit. Yeah, exactly. I know I was pretty fired up just to watch some live sports again. I think I probably watched seven hours of this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not more about the athletes. They're not like it's about the other people's safeties uh, that the athletes are around and that are around the athletes and that take part in the event, like all the volunteers and all that workers. Yeah, the athletes are like super healthy and like fit and all that. So focus is on them, but it's also for what they can do outside like Max always said it in one of his posts UFC uh UFC fighter saying like it's not about us it's about like how we how we can give it to our grandparents or like somebody we see so we just gotta try to do what's best for everyone yeah, and not try exactly. to focus yeah so that basically just goes in line with your point we'll now send it over to our interview with Soth who was up for the 2020 Haskins award at the time of the interview but it was announced live on the Golf Channel on Friday that he is the winner. So big congrats goes out to him for that honor. Much deserved. Our interview with him would not be possible without our friends at FNA. When asked the question, are you in or in the way, do you respond FNA? Founded in 2019 by a trio of Canadians, FNA attempts to inspire the pursuit of a no-bars-held lifestyle. The brand has been coined everything from new wave streetwear, athletic apparel, party attire, and even outdoor-driven. FNA seeks to stress they are more than an apparel company, but a way of living. No matter the circumstance, you can always say FNA. Check them out today at FNA.us. That's F-N-E-H dot U-S. Also want to give a shout out to Al Anderson's. They're doing a lacrosse equipment drive for the Kinsman Lacrosse League, which supports inner core school students. If you have any gear kicking around, even things like hockey, shoulder pads, or elbow pads, it would be going to a great cause. Help support kids who are looking to get involved in the game, which I know Eric and I and many other kids in Saskatoon were fortunate enough to be involved in. Welcome to the Prairie Perspective Podcast. The number three ranked amateur in golf, 2020 Fred Haskins Award finalist for the top NCAA golfer in the country and Pepperdine standout, Sahid Tagala. Welcome on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. 
how's life been and uh what have you been doing yeah um like i said like i th- I think pretty similar to a lot of other people uh just uh staying at home and uh doing some stuff that you know normally i uh, be kind of frowned upon but uh you know staying a couple extra hours in bed and uh getting plenty of video games and getting some chess in there so a lot of things that are it's tough to do during season and um it's been good hanging with hanging with my family at my house because we've all been together and uh obviously the the circumstances of this is um it's not ideal at all there's a bunch of people uh, you know fighting for their lives and praying for everyone's uh, health and safety coming up but uh it, it's been good for our family just to get some little bond time in and um you know take a little bit of time off from golf as well have you been able to get down to the courses down in cali and uh yeah so maybe the the first five or six weeks of the the lockdown everything was pretty much fully locked down um we really weren't going outside other than to get groceries and, and water and stuff like that uh so i didn't really didn't really uh get any practicing outside but uh we set up a little net in my backyard you know i've been hitting i, I don't hit a lot of balls so maybe at least 15 20 balls um at night or something just to keep the swing loose and um so my body doesn't get stiff and then uh we have carpet um out here so uh or in my house so i'm able to putt and chip a little bit just around the house and uh I think about a week, I think it's been a week now that, that the courses uh, in a nearby county opened up and a lot of the other courses are starting to open up now. So I've played probably four or five times now. Um, still a lot of the a lot of the practice facilities here are closed. So it's just going out and playing. So game's still a little, uh, game will, it'll take a little bit of practicing, some couple of practice sessions to get back to it, but it, it feels great to be playing again. So you're a pretty prestigious recruit, successful junior career. What was that recruiting process like? I read Oregon, USC, Washington were in the mix. How did yeah. you choose Pepperdine? Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'd say I was one of the, the best recruits out there, but uh, I definitely had a good junior career, especially when I was really young. And uh, um, one of the things that probably prevented me from being an even better recruit was I just didn't, didn't practice a lot in high school. And that's one of the things that that's helped me in college. But uh, the recruiting process was, was definitely tough because, you know, college is really that step that takes you from – that's the, that takes you to the next level, especially for me, who I really wanted to play pro golf uh, from a young age. So picking the right school was, uh, was very important. And uh, I mean, going into it, before I picked Pepperdine, uh, I was definitely very nervous. But um, after my second visit to Pepperdine, even after the first one, I kind of knew that this place was pretty special. But uh, after my second visit there, I just knew it was going to be the spot for me. I know Matt and I took a vacation down to California this year in November, and the ladies were looking yeah. pretty good. How are the How are oh, they yeah. at Pepperdine? Yeah, um, obviously Pepperdine. Uh, there's, there's a pretty good ratio uh, out of Pepperdine. I think it's like 63 uh, percent females or something. But um, it, it's great because it's a small school, and um, um, you get to get to know a lot of people really well and you see kind of see the same people over and over again but uh, yeah definitely a lot of a lot of beautiful people at uh, in Malibu hanging around the Malibu parts there yeah life in Malibu must not be bad eh oh not at all <laughs> uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get old either I'll tell you I'm, I'm in that ocean view and uh, it, uh, it de- definitely doesn't ever get old was there like a crazy experience during recruiting or like did some school try and like do something and sway you that was just kind of like caught you off guard almost? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, uh, again, I don't know if I was a good enough recruit to really, really do that. I would be good recruit, but uh, no, unfortunately, I don't have any, uh, any crazy stories, but uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a process that uh, it was a little uh, different than I expected for sure. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking and a lot of communication with people that 
you know, you really don't think you, you'd ever talk to. But. So for those of you that don't know, you had a really solid first season with the Waves. You were named the WCC Freshman of the Year. And then a big breakout in your sophomore season. You got to tee up at the Genesis Open at home in L.A. What was that experience like to make the cut and play a couple of rounds with Phil? Yeah, so I actually got to play my last – so I made the cut. I played the last 33 holes with Phil – or oh, the really? last 36 on the final day. So that that was un- unbelievable. Um, sophomore year was really when I uh, kind of found my game, I think, and stepped it up to, to a different level because freshman year I, um, I've always been kind of a, a guy who never really – likes to give up and even though I didn't have my best stuff and freshman year I drove the ball horribly and there's a lot of a lot of things that needed that sharpening so I think sophomore year is the year that I really was able to do that through um, obviously the coaches at Pepperdine my my coach here and uh, just the maturity level so that year was really good for me and then obviously the um, best part of that year was uh, definitely playing in the genesis with Phil that well just making the cut and then getting lucky enough to play with Phil uh, that was definitely awesome uh Phil, uh, I wasn't the the biggest Phil guy going into that. You know, I, I respected the guy. Obviously, he's a great player, and um, I love the guy's short game, but I wasn't, like, a mega Phil fan or anything like that. But um, after playing with him, I, I was really, really impressed by the guy. Like, I, I'm a huge Phil guy now. I'm a big Phil fan. The guys, uh, no matter what people say, I mean, I got to spend 10 hours with him that one day. He, he's very genuine. Yeah, he really cares about, you know, I think growing the game. I mean, he's – giving stuff to kids all, all across the golf course and really had nothing but uh, positive things that he was doing with the audience or with the fans there. And even to me, I mean, three holes in, he was talking about stories that he had from college. It's like, dude, I just, you know, I met you and you don't have to talk to me. Like I'm just some amateur sophomore, 19 year old amateur at Pepperdine. Like, why are you being such a nice guy to me? But yeah, he, he was awesome. Um, that After that day, I was definitely a big Phil guy. Was there a story that he told you that kind of stood out? Probably the best story that uh, I always tell people is we're coming off 18 green. Um, I think it was the first nine holes that we played. We started on the back nine. So we're, we hit the tee shots on number one at Riviera. Um, it's a very iconic hole, a little downhill par five, a narrow strip of fairway. You hit it before a creek. But I was walking, we were walking down the hill from the tee shot to the fairway, and it was me, Phil, and JB. And, uh, Phil had chipped in three times in nine holes already. He <laughs> pulled out on 10 for Eagle from the right side, which was just dead, but he somehow miraculously hold it. And then we get to 17 and hold another. It was a relatively easy chip shot. And actually, I uh, turned to my caddy and said, watch this. He's going to hold it. It's too simple for Phil. And sure enough, he holds that for Eagle. And then 18, it was a back flag. He uh, hit it just over the back and, and chipped that in for birdie from a terrible line. Uh, I think uh, I think JB and Phil are you know decently close and probably played together a bunch of times. So JB was giving him some smack uh, walking down one uh, one fairway. Like Phil, like you're a joke, man. Like what do you do? Do you have secrets? Like, and I think when JB said that he was joking, right? But uh, Phil took I think Phil took it pretty seriously. He was honestly answering like the way I practice. Um, everybody else like when they chip and practice, they try and chip it into a into a three foot circle, right? Like I'm. And Phil's, Phil said that he's trying to chip it in a two-foot circle. And he was saying that, you know, I tried chipping in a two-foot circle and X amount of times that, that two-foot circle ends up being the bottom of the cup. And uh, I, I thought that was hilarious. And only Phil can, you know, say something like that and get away with it. If some other guy says that, you're like, dude, come on. Yeah. I'm just but happy to get it into a 20-foot circle. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> nobody, nobody says, like, oh, I'm trying to chip everything in a two-foot yeah. circle, you know. But – uh no, that, that was great. That's when I tell everyone. And, you know, I, I truly think 100% he believes it and obviously showcases that time and time again. 
I read Henrik is your favorite golfer. Did you give mm-hmm. Phil a bit of a chirp about that 2016 Open? I actually didn't talk talk to him about that. I, I probably should have. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Henrik Henrik's my guy. He's just a he's just a beast. Uh, I don't know what to say. He straps the ball, and um, obviously he's been uh, growing the game pretty well recently. So he's he's just a. I I, I hope hopefully I get to I get to meet him someday. But uh, I should have brought that up. Should have brought that up. What do you like about Stenson's game? Um, I, I think he's just so solid across the board. Um, obviously. He makes a few more putts. I, I think he wins a bunch more tournaments. But the guy is just a, a solid ball striker. I mean, he doesn't really uh, nothing flashy, right? He just he doesn't really work the ball either way that much. Uh, he hits it pretty straight, and I, I just love his uh, his glasses look. He's just kind of low key, and uh, I feel like he's one guy that doesn't you know talk a lot of trash and and stuff like that. He's just a pretty pretty stoic guy. And I mean, obviously, you soon get upset a little bit of time, but that just shows the the competitor he is, and you you know, and um, obviously, everyone was able to see that. And I was I was so pumped when he when he won that open, especially in the fashion that he did. So. Um, I just, I'd have to say just the way he carries himself on the golf course. Obviously, I don't condone, you know, throwing clubs here and there, but I think he, he's been past that, uh, past that stage. You grew up in Chino Hills, and I read you were a big basketball fan. What was the yeah. buzz around the Ball Brothers growing up? I know I'm oh, a yeah. fan of all um, of them, so. Oh, yeah. I, obviously, I live in Chino Hills, and uh, the first thing that a lot of people told me or talked about when I told them I'm from Chino Hills is that, uh, oh, is that where the Ball Brothers live? Like, do you know where they live? Did you go to high school with them? I'm like, yeah, gets old after a time. But no, I mean, I, I love basketball. So it was definitely pretty cool to see Chino Hills uh, get on the map. It's not too big of a suburb, you know, 30, 35 miles outside of LA. So it was good publicity, I think, for the city. And uh, they've been to, they went to Chino Hills High, which is maybe 10 minutes from my house. So really close by. And um, I know they just, uh, their mansion is really close to one of the country clubs out here. I, I don't go to the country club, Western Hills, but it's really close by there. So no, it's been it's been cool the last seeing uh, Lonzo. Obviously, I wasn't too happy when he got traded a little while ago, but uh, yeah. Did you uh, ever get out to watch any of their games in high school there? I actually didn't, which was another thing that I kind of regret because I I love basketball and uh, I actually never went. Uh, but I mean, it was always packed and yeah, not easy to get into. Hey. Yeah, exactly. You won the Southwestern Invitational in style by wearing a Kobe jersey on the 18th. What did that moment mean to you, and how did you come up with the idea to honor Kobe and his legacy in that way? That meant a lot to me. Um, just the whole week was a pretty emotional one, obviously. Uh, the Southwestern was going to be my last – it was our home event for Pepperdine, so it was going to be my last uh, event that I played um, in front of a home crowd with some of the Pepperdine people out there. So it was during the practice round that uh, I found out. And obviously when I first heard I was like, dude, uh, one of my teammates, Josh, told me, and I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, this is a joke. Like, don't play, don't play a sick joke like that on me. And uh, – Sure enough, I was. I looked up on my phone, and it was real. And I just like, I, I just remember I couldn't breathe for a while because I mean, Kobe was just like millions of other people. He was my, you know, childhood idol. I, I grew up loving the game because I would watch uh, the Lakers with with my dad ever since I was a young guy, a young kid. Um, there's videos of me you know, crying and crying when they lose and being super happy when they win when I'm really young. So, um, Kobe was someone I I idolized big time. So, and the craziest part of it all was. Uh, so we finished the practice round um, and I find out, I kind of went in depth and looked at it a little more and I find out that his crash site was uh, within a mile of where I live. I, I live in an apartment, or I lived in an apartment off of, uh, in Calabasas off Lost Virginias with uh, one of my teammates, Clay. And the crash happened within a mile of that place. And I just thought that that's crazy. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, this isn't real at all. Um, so right after, we were actually staying in a hotel, but 
um, right after the practice round, I, I went back to the apartment and I, uh, I have a pair of Kobe's and pretty old pair of Kobe's. I'm not even sure if they're, but, and then I have a um, Kobe eight jersey. So I grabbed those and um, there's a local basketball, uh, or there's a park right next to the, the, uh, the apartments that we live in. And there's kind of a shrine already set up there. And this was maybe 8 PM that day. So not, not even that much after the crash, but I uh, went in there and just kind of paid my respects. And then um, I brought along the jersey and the shoes. I thought maybe I could do something cool to honor him during the tournament. And um, so my plan was, I wasn't, I didn't really have that much of a plan going in the final round, but I knew I wanted to wear it at some point and actually warmed up with it a little bit on the, on the range before my final round. Um, and I told myself, I probably shouldn't wear it. It was, it was, I probably shouldn't wear it, um, you know, in the middle of the round and then take it off and, stuff like that so I said all right I'm just gonna save it till the last hole and uh, regardless of where I stood um, so it really really worked out well in that uh, I was leading by one going to the last hole and I slipped it on immediately after I hit my second shot uh, into the green I w walked up with it and hit both my putts with it and when the putt dropped and I knew I win I just tapped my chest a little bit pay my respects to Kobe and uh, no it just it just worked out really well I mean there's I don't think there's a, a better way to write that story really that's awesome, yeah. Okay, I gotta ask, as a bachelor guy, what was it like to get a shout out from Chris Harrison? Yeah, uh, Chris Harrison's a great guy. I don't think a lot of people know the the golf side of Chris. I mean, the guy's a competitor. He's he's a very good golfer. Uh, a couple of years ago in our uh, in our pro am thing for our tournament, he made a hole in one on one of the toughest holes on the on the golf course on to one of the toughest flags. And I'm not sure what his handicap is, but I mean, he can. I mean, he can have competitive matches with the guys on on our team. So he's a very good golfer. I know he plays the AT&T program all the time. And he's really, he's a good guy. He, he really supports our Pepperdine program. And he's a member at North Ranch Country Club where we play our uh, event. And he's a big part of that event. And uh, uh, we're pretty lucky to have him as our uh, as our speaker and our host there. So um, yeah, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And he's just, he's just a good guy, which is, which is awesome. You know, you never really get to know a lot of these guys that you see on TV and media a lot. And to see that he actually is a good guy guys is really cool uh your cool. goal is obviously to win a national championship how yeah. uh demoralizing is it for the year to end short like that due to the yeah yeah um obviously it was, it was absolutely brutal um even right now i'm still bummed about it because the national championship is, we're still three weeks out right and a lot of golf courses are opening up and it seems like we could have taken uh some there could have been some stipulations put in place so that we could still have it going on. Right. So initially it was just, we were really bummed that they canceled it right away and didn't postpone it. Um, it just seemed like a, I mean, obviously I understand what's going on is bigger than, than golf and everything else, but uh, it just seems like the right decision at the time was to postpone it, not to cancel it right away. And uh, um, yeah, it was a big bummer because a lot of people see that we were number one as a team this year and think, okay, they're number one this year. It was a one-year thing, right? Like they'll, they'll be good next year, but it was a, it was a four to five year building process for, for everyone involved. Um, you know, the guy the recruits coming in, they had to get their game ready, knowing that this was going to be, you know, our year. Um, the coaches they've had to recruit and, you know, set up plans for, for so long to get this thing dialed in. And um, obviously, and then obviously for me and the other seniors, we've been working uh, when we first came to Pepperdine, we weren't uh Know, really seen as a golf school and nobody really took us seriously as a national championship contender it took years to work up to that point and for us to not be able to prove it this year is, is definitely demoralizing and uh, I was lucky enough to play my sophomore year um, national championship in Chicago 
Um, we had a really young team. It was, I think, one senior and then me and my roommate were sophomores and then the other two guys were freshmen. So we were super young. We were just pumped we made it to nationals. I think we were ranked 30th around there. Um, and we played great. We we made the first cut, which was the top 15. And um, we might have been the most underrated team that made the top 15. We ended up finishing in 13th. And that really got all the guys, because we were young, that, that really fired us all up to, you know, really work hard to try and give ourselves a chance again. Um, and then junior year, the very next year, we we had a heartbreak, heartbreaking loss in the regionals. We were right there. Um, we're almost winning regionals and we ended up missing nationals by one shot and uh, that was killer. So just to not to be able to get that redemption of trying to prove ourselves and get back to the stage was was definitely tough. So you redshirted last year. How tough was that for you? Like the mental yeah. process, like a guy like you who golfs every day, not being yeah. able to be around the game. Yeah, it was brutal. It, it sucked. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it, but I, I'm very thankful for it. I, I think everything happens for a reason. and You got to make the best out of the situation that you're in, right? So it definitely gave me a new perspective um on on life really i was i was getting really wrapped up in golf and maybe not prioritizing some other things as well so it really put things in perspective for me and realized that even even if golf isn't there you know i'm surrounded by great family and friends that have supported me the whole way and those those lifelong relationships aren't going to go away and i've met so many great people through golf so it just gave me a new perspective and my dad's always been the kind of guy to to kind of just say hey man you got to enjoy what you're doing right um so it, it gave me a good perspective it also helped that even though I, I wasn't able to play golf, I was actually able to be around it a lot because I was still living with guys on the golf team. And even though I was in a, in a cast for a very long time, I still went out and watched them play once in a while and still talk about golf uh, if they had stuff to talk about. So I was still around, uh, you know, very high energy golf. And they played well that year that I didn't, that I registered. I think they finished maybe 10th at Nationals, 9th or 10th. They were very close to watching or making match play. I actually traveled out with them. So, but yeah, it was, it was a very long uh, road to recovery. And obviously at the time, I, I wish it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a thing. You know, I was ready to get done with my senior year and, and go, but uh, definitely put things in perspective for me. Yeah, that perspective looked like it helped. Obviously a pair of wins this year, super yeah. successful season. Um, as mentioned up the top, you're up for the Haskins Award. What's it like seeing your name amongst the like previous winners like Phil, like Tiger, like JT? Yeah, uh, it, it's pretty crazy to think that uh, I have a chance of uh, being associated with those other names. You know, these are the greatest players that ever played the game. And to even think that my name could be on there, it, it almost doesn't seem real um, to me. Um, so, yeah, it, it would be an incredible honor. And, um, again, I just have to be thankful for the people around me that, that – uh, you know, got me to the point where I am right now. And uh, I was able to, you know, just perform. I think, again, just having that attitude about, uh, you know, really having a good time, just soaking everything in and enjoying my uh, my last year of college. But also, you know, funny thing, the injury actually helped me in that uh, I changed the tempo of my swing a little bit and changed it a little bit so that it takes a little bit of stress off of certain points of my body. And I think that's been a big reason also why I've been playing playing better as well and had a good year. So, but yeah, going back to the Haskins thing, it would be insane to see my name up there. So um, I'll be excited to see. So what are your next steps uh, after this uh, year? And do you got any sponsors exemptions or did you have any sponsored exemptions uh, lined up for the wraparound season before this Corona stuff's hit? And Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was tough to, it was tough, tough to say because we were still a little bit, you know, pretty far out. Um, I think if I kept going on that trajectory I was going, I, I would have gotten some starts. Um, it, it's Again, it's tough to say because nothing's guaranteed, right? Like even if you're number one in college, there's nothing written saying that you're going to get these exemptions. It's mostly if 
um, you know, you're in good, good graces with the tournament directors and you, you communicate properly and kind of do the right things that get into these events. I mean, maybe I had some lined up and hopefully I'm, I'm still have uh, able to get the opportunity to play in a couple of them. But we'll, we'll see. It's, it's just such a waiting game right now. It's, it's tough to have anything concrete lined up, but uh, that was going to be the plan. I was, I was actually supposed to do Canadian uh, Canadian tour and the qualifying for that for me was end of March and um, actually got my practice round in maybe six days before I was supposed to play the tournament and um, that after that day they, they ended up postponing it and then I think they're gonna end up canceling it they still haven't released the official word um, I know they postponed the first six events of the season so I was gonna go that route um, hopefully I made the Q school I was gonna go that route and then sprinkle in uh, some of these exemptions if I'm lucky enough to get them um, so that was gonna be the plan and then do Q school uh, come August September and that looks like it's not gonna happen either so um, it's just gonna be a waiting game. I, I'm definitely gonna keep my game sharp and ready and try and play in, in, in what I can uh, leading up to that. But there's still not no no concrete plan or anything like that in terms of what my schedule set in stone or anything. Uh, so what's an aspect of your game do you think that you need to uh, work on or you're looking to improve on to take your game to the next level? For the longest time, it was my my ball striking was always the kind of weak link in my game. And that's something I've really stepped up, I think, this past year, especially in my iron game. Uh, one part that's always needed working for me is my driving. Uh, not the longest hitter, but I have a decent amount of power, but um, accuracy is something that I'm always needing to work on and eliminate the big miss. Um, typically, most of my misses are on the same side, and that's a little out to the right. Um, I like to hit pretty big cut off the tee, so my miss is usually out to the right, and it's just those big misses that ended up, you know, losing a ball here and there, and that kind of kills the, you can't be making doubles out, you know, out on tour um, if you're expecting to win, so that's going to be an aspect of the game that I definitely am going to work on. I mean, just like every part of the game, even even though I feel like short game is my strong suit, it's, that doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, lay off the practice uh, for that aspect of the game too. So I think it's important to to balance all that. And I've always loved uh, practicing uh, around the green, so that shouldn't be an issue. But yeah, hopefully get the driver dialed in and I'd feel very good about my game if that, that was something that that could improve. Um, you played a practice round at the U.S. Open in Wisconsin with DJ and Brooks. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, um, obviously it was ridiculous playing with them. It was kind of lucky. I uh, I was going to play the second practice round. I think it was just going to be a twosome with me and Steve Stricker, which would have been really cool as well. But uh, there's some thunderstorm delays and stuff like that. So the tee times got pushed around. And I saw that I had an opportunity to play with Brooks and DJ. And at first I was you know, really nervous to sign up with them. But my caddy was like, dude, you're stupid if you don't sign up with them. I mean, these guys are you know, best of the best. And at that time, uh, Brooks hasn't, didn't win a major. He's, he's still had zero majors. Uh, so I'll take full credit for uh, his four <laughs> majors that he won after uh, I played with him in that practice round. Uh, no, I mean, obviously didn't care, but uh, no, I, uh, it was really cool to be able to play with them. Those guys are, you know, they're freaks of nature. They're literally, they kill a ball. They hit it 50 yards past me, pretty much no exaggeration. They hit it 40 to 50 yards past me uh, when they want to. And, uh, it was really cool to to kind of get to see just kind of who they are up close and personal because they had uh, their supporting cast around them and uh, and I was able to talk with uh, some of them a little bit and I don't know about a lot of insight because they were taking it pretty casually because I think DJ had just gotten there um, it was his first practice round so he just I think he was just getting a feel back for his game there um, but I was just uh, it was really interesting to to see the how they practice and. Uh, they're just pretty laid back about it. obviously they they're doing their stuff on other days right so i think this was a more laid back kind of day and um 
obviously it was, it was very impressive seeing that, especially my sophomore year when um, I felt kind of little next to them, even though I was the same height. But I mean, these guys are huge and ripped and stuff like that. So it was also cool that um, Brooks ended up playing nine. And then I think most of the course was uh, they're about to shut down, but DJ still wanted to wanted to keep playing because that was his first first time at the at property and he wanted to play the back nine. So I guess. Um, I don't know who he asked, but we were able to play the back nine. I was able to tag along. So we, me and DJ played in the twosome and uh, we played super quick. And that's when I got a lot of the cool pictures with him. So that was, that was a really cool uh, experience because my, my father was there, a couple of close family friends, uh, my swing coach, my, my Pepperdine coach and his, his, one of his boys was there. So, and then I had my roommate for four years caddying. So that, that was a, that was an awesome experience. And uh, probably the most uh, memorable part of that back nine is, DJ, I mean, DJ and his brother work together really well, and they're, they're really funny, so they're cracking jokes all the time, but uh, we, there's still a bunch of a bunch of uh, um, fans watching, because obviously it's DJ, he was a pat, defending champ and all that, so um, there's a bunch of fans watching him, and uh, we got up to 15T, which was drivable part four, and I guess there was a bunch of fans already there waiting, which was kind of weird, but um, he made a joke that, uh, you know, all the fans were, were there for me to watch me hit that shot, <laughs> and, uh, not him, so. It, it was cool to again, you know, he treated me to just like another guy. I wasn't wasn't awkward or anything, you know. Why am I playing with the Sam kind of guy? He just he respected me for, you know, just making it to the US Open. It was it was a lot of fun. I know Matt Denosh and I are all in college, and we barely struggle to uh, just do school without playing golf or being in a yeah. booming booming place like Malibu with lots of distractions. I was just wondering how you manage it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, it seems to always be the question, right? Like, how do you manage stuff like that and to be honest, I don't, I don't really have a, a great answer to that. Uh, my freshman year, I struggled a lot. Um, you know, I was, I was a lucky, you know, might be the Indian genes, but I got some, uh, I was always a smart kid in high school, even though I didn't, you know, try the hardest or studied a lot, stuff like that. But uh, that same formula didn't uh, seem to work out for me in my freshman year in uh, college. Uh, procrastination didn't go so well in classes where you only have three tests and that's your whole entire grade. So, uh, um, I kind of learned through that that uh, I definitely had to manage my time. I mean, everyone says that time management is the biggest part of it. So uh, I kind of found a system that worked for me. Um, obviously, a day, a normal day, when what we have, we really don't have any free time till after dinner. Um, and sometimes you have class after dinner as well. So um, you can, we kind of found a system where, I mean, where uh, you just kind of learn when you can take time for yourself and when you need to really really uh push yourselves and get stuff done but uh i mean you still have off uh, we still have uh, an off day every week so that's a time we just kick back and do other stuff and um a coach gives us a lot of breaks so there's definitely time to do other stuff and uh even though that we do practice every day and practice a lot every day um even during our day off typically we'll go and practice but um yeah it's it's funny because i don't after a little while i didn't even think of it as you know, super time consuming and stuff like that just felt normal. And because I enjoyed pretty much every part of the day, um, except maybe waking up at six for workouts, but uh, I enjoyed most of the, most of the day. And, uh, you know, I'm with my, with my buddies the whole time with, with the golf team or when I'm in class and with a couple guys that I know, cause Pepperdine's so small that you know, all the guys. So I feel like I was always surrounded by, uh, you know, my buds and um, I'm either on the golf course or at Pepperdine. Those are two places that you really can't go much wrong with. So, um, 
and then when we traveled for tournaments, it, it was a pretty similar thing. You know, you kind of know if you have to do work on the plane, you, you just do it. You know, you don't think twice about it. You don't really have another option unless you just don't want to turn stuff in. So um, I kind of found a system that way, and I think it worked pretty well. We Obviously, we got some good help from our academic advisors, and I was able to get some tutors as well. So that was good. But, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, it was a transition for sure. Uh, you mentioned Indian heritage. Uh Obviously, you were born in the States, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, I was. Um, your background, your parents are uh, from India. and mm-hmm. um, Would you ever consider representing India internationally, or would you represent the U.S.? Yeah, I've always, uh, you know, cons- obviously considered myself Indian. Both my parents uh, came from India, I think, uh, mid-20s. My dad ended up doing his master's at Kansas State, um, and then they moved to California think when they're in their mid-20s so they've been here a while 30 years and um, a lot of a lot of my uh, other parts of my family are still back in India so I've actually I spent a lot of time there when I was young Um, I would go there maybe every other year every even when I was really young even more than that Um, I wish I could go back more but in the last you know seven eight years I think I've been back two or three times a couple couple, one time for a wedding and a couple times just for you you know a month or month and a half during summer so I wish I could go back there more, but uh, I definitely think Indian heritage is a very important part of part of who I am. I'm a Hindu, and um, um, that's something that I definitely want to, you know, uh, make sure make sure that it's known out uh, that Indian heritage is a big part of me. Because obviously, um, I feel like there's not a lot of Indian um, athletes on the on the main stage, right? Like you don't see any guys playing, you know, football, basketball, sports like that. So even even golf is a little bit. Out of the, although there there have been uh, some Indian golfers like Anir Bon and Shabankar that have been really good models, and the game has been growing a lot because of that in India. So um, that's definitely something I've thought of. And um, either way, I think I'd be good. Obviously, I was born and brought up here, so um, I'm a pretty Americanized guy. But um, there's still certainly a lot of uh, aspects of me that are that are absolutely Indian. Don't worry, man. You're not the only one that's due for a trip. I've only been back twice in the last six years as well. So really, yeah, We're both due no, for I, a trip here. I mean, I love going back because I always get spoiled, right? I mean, family. Yeah, the good food, you can't go the wrong. Food. The food is the best part of going. <laughs> Food's by far the best part. And then we get to see family, right? So it's never yeah, wrong. absolutely. You uh, won your first world golf championship at the age of six. So I was just wondering, how yeah. did you get into golf? Yeah, that's another great question because nobody in my uh, family plays sports. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just not something that our, our family did a lot of. Um, my dad was the, the kind of outlier. He uh, ran some marathons and played some tennis, but nothing competitively. And then I think played a little bit of cricket in India, but I'm um, nothing like serious or competitive. He's just, he was just a good athlete and in good shape. And um, he loved watching sports. So I think he, he actually played a little bit of golf with his work buddies um, before I was born and when I was really young. Um, but he just watched a lot of sports on TV and I was, I was hooked from a really young age. Um, um, my uncles always have stories of me, you know, being able to throw like a, a perfect spiral uh, when I was like a year and a half. I mean, I can't even come close to throwing a spiral now, but uh, um, I got into basketball when I was really young. We always had a little plastic hoop set up in, a, in my living room. And basketball was probably the first sport that I really started playing a lot of. Uh, we got a hoop outside when I was four or five years old. And obviously watching the Lakers was a, was a big part of that with my dad. And then my dad would always watch um, the major championships and a lot of bigger events like that. So that's kind of how I got into golf. And I think around that time, it might've even been younger, but around that time, five, four to five, he bought me um, plastic set clubs at the house and um, saw my swing was actually pretty good. So got me a little real set of uh, dinky clubs and 
it's funny enough, the the World Junior Worlds, when I played when I was six years old, was my first tournament ever. Um, so we had no idea, you know, what I was capable <laughs> of going into that tournament. I, I, I don't think he really knew, like, is this guy, you know, trash or does he actually have something? So for me to go and win that was, I think, definitely sparked the light in uh, for my family. And, um, yeah, ever since then, you know, I've been hooked on the sport. I, I still love basketball. I, I wish I played it more in high school and I wish I got to play more in college but uh just the I, I like to play hard so I, I'm always scared of getting injured in some intense games of basketball but I'll, I'll still shoot around a lot and it's it's definitely one of my favorite pastimes but you're still a Lakers guy then big Lakers guy it's been a little rough the past um, you know six seven years but uh it was it was really good to see us, us playing this year it was a little weird obviously with LeBron last year because I've always been uh, not anti-LeBron like I still think he's I mean, he's, he's the best player in the NBA right now, in my opinion. But uh, I still think, um, like, I, I was just so – I wasn't anti-LeBron, but I was always such a big Kobe guy that, uh, you know, LeBron always seemed like the villain. And every time he won the uh, the NBA championship there, I was like, all right, this is – you know, this sucks. But uh, yeah. seeing him play for the Lakers, it, it was cool because, I mean, he resurrected our team from, from the dead. And uh, it was really cool watching him. This was definitely the most basketball I watched uh, in a while this past – the past year feel a little bit scared about the Clippers coming up in uh La La Land there yeah I'm yeah I've I've always hated the Clippers but I mean I can't hate on them I mean I'm a big Paul George guy and how can you hate Kawhi Kawhi's the man um so I mean yeah I'm I'm a little worried uh but it's good to see that there is a rivalry you know it's always been I feel like it's always been kind of lopsided it's either Lakers dominating I'm mostly Lakers dominating in the last five six years it's been the Clippers that have been dominating the series even though they're not a great team but yeah, it's cool to see that that uh, they're both you know top in top in the Western Conference. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch the next couple of years. Assuming we get that going here, do you got a finals yeah. pick? I mean, I I don't know. Um, I I really like the Bucks play style. I feel like they're just very balanced across the board for the Eastern Conference. So they they'd probably be my pick to make the final there. Um, and then obviously the Lakers for the Western Western side. I'm curious about uh, coach dynamic at the college level. So, like, you have mm-hmm. your you have a swing coach, and then you obviously have your college coach. How does that kind of work between the two of you, or between yeah. the two coaches? Yeah. So, um, so the recruiting process actually, um, those two coaches talk a, a decent amount. Um, I guess once you're recruited or once you're committed, and uh, kind of have a plan. Typically, the 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 head coach at at the college isn't going to mess with your swing much unless you know he's specialized in that way or something. Obviously, he's very knowledgeable about the game, and my head coach specifically, Michael Beer, he he was an All-American at Pepperdine, and um, his dad was a 10-time tour winner, so he has incredible experience and knows knows the golf swing really well, and um, he knows when you know I'm not doing things that I'm I'm doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. He he was not afraid to tell me, and that that's kind of a good dynamic that we had. But he's not going to intrude unless you tell him to. Uh, you know, do something specific with your swing. So I, I still worked um, with my swing coach back here, um, uh, back here in Chino. So that there was no no clash or anything like that. They both kind of they knew what the what the deal was. Your favorite course is Torrey Pines, correct? Yeah, I mean Torrey's the it's tough. I think I that's uh, a little old, but uh, okay, yeah. I have a it, that's always one of the toughest questions to try and pick a favorite course. I always like to give like a top ten list. Um, but I've been lucky enough to play so many good courses through college that Tory is still one of the top. I don't think it's it's my favorite course anymore. I mean, Riv is right there. Be hard pressed to not call Riv my you know my favorite course. But uh, um, 
And there's a course in Northern California called Marty's Camp that I played like eight years ago for US Junior Amateur. And that's literally one of the most incredible places I've ever seen. Um, and then uh, even some of the courses that we get to play through the college season, such as uh, Southern Highlands and Pasa Tiempo, these are, you know, grace of the greats. And just lucky enough to get to play all these this, these courses, but it just makes it tougher to pick, uh, you know, the favorite. So I don't, I don't even know if I have a, an answer for that. I, if anything, I, I'd have to give Riviera the, the slight edge. Good memories there too. Yeah, exactly. A little biased uh, yeah. there, but okay. I gotta ask you. I'm sure you asked you're asked about this a lot, but uh-huh. the John Rom incident. So two parts. So like, how did you come up with this idea to like hack on the range and then? <laughs> second off yeah. have you ever like talked to john about it or like have you guys interacted at all no so i okay so i'll start with why i kind of did that um yeah. i started when i was in high school um you know it's funny i sometimes i wasn't getting focused enough for our high school matches because we would always beat the teams in our league so i'd kind of mess around in the range and i felt bad but like it was honestly initially it was just to keep myself and the team loose right to get some yeah. laughs going and and uh, I'll joke, say, get the bad shots out of the way, right, even if they're on purpose. But um, it was just a way to stay loose initially. And then um, it became kind of a, a ritual for me. It felt wrong if I didn't do it in high school. Uh, I had to slow it down in college a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that's how it started. And um, if you ask any of my high school teammates, they'll, they'll say I did some some wacky stuff. I'll, we had a lip-out game where before matches, I'll, I'll get up on the green and just try and lip out as many putts in a row as possible. It's actually very hard to do. Um, unless um, we're trying to make them exactly once you're trying to make them it's very easy to do but uh yeah it kind of started that way and then um continued that into college I remember my first college event I was doing all kinds of weird stuff right before the my tea time like I was hitting full full swing flops from you know foot off the green um but again it wasn't to you know get in anybody's heads or anything it was just kind of keep it loose and kind of who I was and and uh no I to answer the second question I've never never talked to John about it I'm not you know, super, I, I know the guy and uh, my head coach was the assistant at ASU where, where John Rom played. So they have a pretty good relationship and a lot, I actually saw them at the, at the 2017 open, but I mean, we, I don't even think he knows about this incident. <laughs> and even if you, if you ask him about him, I bet he, he, it's just another, you know, he was yeah. number one at the time. He was yeah, big exactly. time. He's not going to remember something like that. So, but that was definitely a, a very lasting memory for me and the team there. It was, it was the best shank I've ever in my life. It, it, it went 90 degrees across the range. Was, <laughs> I was very proud of that. I might have to take one out of your playbook there just in case I'm on the range this summer and accidentally hack one at someone's feet beside yeah. me and say I'm doing uh, the Thagala. Yeah, no, it, it worked. I, hopefully it catches on, but it, it'll work. Uh, you tell them that you did it on purpose and they'll just phase them. They're like, wow, this guy's practicing shanks. And he's already got uh, – <laughs> got some real estate in my head so thanks for joining yeah. us uh no best problem. of luck going forward we'll we'll be watching appreciate it guys thanks for having me again big thanks to soft for taking the time for the boys we really appreciate it and uh and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in we're gonna have another episode in the coming days here so be on the lookout for that until then